You can set your heart upon the glory of the gospel and never find its bottom and be satisfied by its truth, its life-giving truth each and every day. And it is by pondering those glories that you are found to be a faithful disciple. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Jesus Begins His Ministry in Six Parts from Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul's text for this series is the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, chapter four. Pastor Paul has been taking his congregation in recent months through the Gospel of Matthew, and in this pre-recorded part of that series, he's focused on the beginning of our Lord's public ministry. It is noted by the writer of this gospel, Matthew, that following our Lord's baptism by John the Baptist and his temptation by Satan, he, quote, withdrew into Galilee. Galilee was in the north of Israel, a region heavily populated by Gentiles, near Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' eventual disciples lived. And though Matthew makes clear early on that Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel, this Messiah was by no means limiting his ministry to Jews alone. Here's part two of Jesus Begins His Ministry. It is a gospel that goes beyond Israel to the nations. We see Galilee of the nations being referred to in chapter 9, verse 1. In Isaiah's day, Galilee would have been a Gentile rich area, even more so in Jesus' day. It is significant that Jesus moves in order to begin his public ministry to a Gentile rich area. And he will be there up until around about chapter 18 of Matthew's gospel. This will be his mission HQ because Jesus has a burden to preach the gospel to the nations. And that, if you remember, is a particular accent of Matthew's theology. All the way back in chapter 1 with that extended genealogy, one of the things that Matthew shows us through that is that this gospel is not for the Jewish people alone. And we see it here again in Matthew chapter 4 by way of Isaiah chapter 9. This is a gospel that goes to the Gentiles. It's for this reason that in Matthew's gospel, we finish the very last scene of Matthew's gospel is Jesus giving the great commission. Go unto the nations. He is presenting himself as a king for everyone. So the robust gospel we see being preached in Isaiah 9 is a gospel that is for you and for me. In a very real way, we sit here this morning, thousands of miles from where Jesus' ministry was originally conducted, the happy recipients of the gospel. Because of these words spoken by Isaiah and more specifically by their fulfillment through Jesus's ministry. Another observation. We see that the gospel preached in Isaiah 9 fulfilled through Jesus is a gospel of great joy. Notice verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. That's an understatement. The joy that they experienced at the harvest pales 
compared to the joy that they experience from the light that has been shone into their hearts and so also us. The gospel that Jesus Christ brings is a gospel of great joy. It is not a gospel that is intended to bring about a superficial level of happiness in your life. It is not a gospel that brings about temporary joy. It is a gospel that speaks to the greatest need of the human heart. The greatest need you have is to be reconciled to God through the forgiveness of your sin. However you came here this morning, whatever need you perceived in your life this morning, the Bible says your greatest need is to be reconciled to your creator through the forgiveness of your sin. And the only way in which that can happen is through the faith in Trust in the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And when you express that faith in him, there is joy that comes as a result. Deep-seated, everlasting joy. And notice that this joy centers on a king. The robust gospel that is preached in Isaiah 9 is fulfilled in Matthew 4, is one that has at its center the virgin-born child of Isaiah 7, who in Isaiah 9 is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's a King of David. He is your King. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Your salvation in the truths of the gospel cannot be interpreted apart from Jesus as your King. If you come here today proclaiming salvation, forgiveness of sins, right, standing before God, but you know nothing of Jesus being your king, you don't have a biblical salvation. But in so much as your salvation centers upon trust in, obedience to, worship of this king, then you have received this gospel. Now, the difficulty for us as we consider Passages like Isaiah 9, and we could go to so many others in the Bible this morning, that issue forth to us a robust picture of salvation. The difficulty for us is that we are so prone to boil down God's glorious plan of salvation to a mere equation, a mere transaction that robs the gospel of its glory. We live in a time where we are conditioned to think of life in terms of transactions. More than ever before, we live in a time where our interactions are no longer based on relationships, but transactions. You swipe right, you double-click, you have the thing you need, no personal contact needed. We are a transactionary people, and that starts to inform the way we think of biblical truth. Don't misunderstand me, there is a transaction that occurs in the economy of the gospel. There is a transaction that initiates your relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is a transaction where you put your faith in Christ. He pays for your sins. He accepts your sins and gives to you his righteousness. There is transaction. But you don't stop your meditation of the gospel there. Rather, that becomes the entry point, the gateway into a world of glory. A universe of truth that you can ponder and probe for the rest of your days and never exhaust. You can set your heart upon the glory of the gospel and never find its bottom. 
and be satisfied by its truth, its life-giving truth each and every day. And it is by pondering those glories that you are found to be a faithful disciple. You understand the dangers of boiling down the gospel to a mere equation of saying, in effect, I prayed to Jesus, I asked him to forgive my sin, I acknowledged my sin, I prayed and he forgave me and I'm good. And I don't really have to do a whole lot more than that. I sometimes show up to church and I sing where I'm there, but that's about the sum total of Jesus's interaction in my life. The danger of doing that is that you ascribe to a gospel that is far from biblical and you walk out a path of discipleship that is by no means biblical. I often think that Christians lack of love for the Lord. Their lack of fervency for the things of the church. Their lack of desire for God's word and for prayer and for fellowship with the saints is just a result of the fact that they have not really apprehended the gospel. They have not really pursued in their hearts a disciplined meditation upon the glory of the gospel. The shallowness of your gospel will bear fruit in the shallowness of your life as a disciple to Christ. And so if you have not trained yourself to embrace the robust gospel that is given to us in passages like Isaiah chapter 9, do not think that your life will set on display the splendor of Christ, but understand that you are deciding to portray a weak, insignificant Christ to a watching world. That is the decision you make when you refuse to ponder the glory of the gospel. When Matthew shows us here that Jesus is the bringer of salvation, he is doing it in no small way. And this will be a theme that he continues to develop all the way through his narrative. No surprises. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Matthew narrates themes for us that will go on to be predominant in the life of Christ, no surprises, so that you would know what you are ascribing to, who it is you are pledging allegiance to. You can't read the gospel narrative and say, I didn't understand. I wasn't sure who this man was. Matthew up front is showing you the glory of Christ and of his gospel. And he's beckoning you to follow this Christ, not another Christ. He is exhorting you to ponder the reality of salvation that has come to the Gentiles, that is transforming hearts, that brings great joy and centers upon a king. And he's saying, make your life about this gospel. And then see how your feet follow in a glorious obedience. Jesus is the bringer of a glorious salvation. And your responsibility is to probe it and to ponder it and to delight in it and to follow gladly as one of his disciples. That is the second theme. The third and final is that of repentance. After Matthew has narrated the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, he says, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We come full circle here. At the beginning of this text, there was a link inferred between 
John the Baptist and Jesus. John was his forerunner, not just in time, but in theology. And that means that Jesus also will be handed over, arrested, killed. It also means, verse 17, Jesus will preach the same sermons John preached. He will preach a message of repentance, and notice that it's the way in which Jesus begins his ministry. He begins his ministry in the same way that John did, indicating that you do not have access to this salvation, this glorious gospel. You do not have access to it apart from repentance. Jesus is not okay with your sin. You come to him a sinner. His grace exceeds all and every sin. But as you accept him as a savior, you understand he expects that you would be one turning from your sin. If you remember back to John's ministry when he was being very confrontational with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he pointed them out for having a false repentance. He said to them, your repentance is not bearing fruit, it's false. He said, your repentance isn't now, it's rooted in the past, in history. He said to them, your repentance is not founded on an embracing of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's got as its theological foundation something else. And it's so important for us to remind ourselves of these truths. Jesus does not consider the work of calling people to repentance to be done. He begins his ministry in the same way that John the Baptist did. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he calls people continuously his whole earthly life. Jesus will pass on the baton in a few chapters time to his disciples. He will send them out in his name to represent him and do the work of the ministry. And guess what? At that moment, he gives to them this sermon. Jesus hands over his sermon notes and says, this is what I want you to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's so important for us to keep Returning to this message because the human spirit will try to do everything it can to avoid the demand for repentance. The human spirit will try to get to Jesus another way. We all see things we like about Jesus. You speak to an unbeliever, ask them what they they think of this man. I can almost guarantee you they will be affirming of something in Jesus' ministry. The number of times I've asked that question of someone who is not a Christian, tell me what you think about Jesus, and the response has been a positive response. He's a good teacher. He did some good things. He taught us how to live. We all see something good we like in Jesus. And so in our spirits, in our flesh, we try to find a way to get to him without taking seriously his demand on our lives to repent of our sin. I was in a conversation just on Friday with a man with whom I was able to establish very quickly a shared perspective on life. He works in government, and I realized that he and I were aligned on just about everything as it relates to politics, public life, policy. I would guess that if we had carried on our conversation for hours, 
we would have found nothing. As it relates to his work and all things pertaining to worldview that we would have disagreed on, in a sense, we were kindred spirits. And as I realized this, I decided at some point in the conversation just to ask him, tell me about your religious affiliation. That was my inoffensive way of getting to a very offensive topic. So tell me about your religious affiliation. And he said, you know, my parents were Anglicans, and I don't really do much with that. But he said very quickly, trying to take the conversation back to where we were previously, he said, I do see the value of a religious tradition in society. I see the value, the contribution that a religious tradition makes to society. That's what he said. And I, I responded and said, but that's, that's not the issue. The religious tradition that you're speaking of is not the, the ultimate issue. The tradition points to realities of repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where the contribution is. Not in tradition, but it's in people turning from their sin and embracing Christ. And he said, almost with a sense of despair, almost acknowledging that he was trapped, he said, I wish I had more than a tradition. I wish I had more than a tradition, he said. If I was to to paraphrase from a theological perspective, I would say that he was saying, I wish I could repent. I wish I could turn from my sin and embrace Christ. And the struggle, as I think about that conversation, the struggle I have is is reconciling the, the tension that is everywhere in Scripture of God's sovereignty and salvation and man's responsibility. It's everywhere. You see it in this text followed by the next text, next Sunday, Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. They, they follow him. There's God's sovereignty in salvation. Jesus is speaking and effecting heart transformation. But the preceding text highlights the responsibility of man to deal with his sin. And so I hear comments like that and I come to texts like this and you, you struggle with the tension. And what do you do with this? And as a preacher, you find your rest in doing exactly what the text tells you to do. I want to command you this morning, with Jesus as my example, to repent from your sin. Command you this morning to repent from your sin. Bring to mind what you do that doesn't honor the Lord. Call to mind what it is that offends God. And say that I'm turning from that by the strength that God gives you by his grace, that is no longer going to define who I am. I repent, turn away from my sin, and I cast myself upon Jesus, who I find to be a sufficient savior. As you repent from your sin, the kingdom of heaven becomes yours. The king becomes your king. You take up the mantle of discipleship and you rise each and every day to trust Jesus. 
to take him at his word, to follow him, to obey him in God's strength by his grace. And you live a life of repentance and you live a life of obedience and you do it until the day when Jesus appears to call you home. Let's pray to respond. Our Father, we give you thanks for the beginning of Jesus's ministry. We praise you that Jesus came understanding himself in the likeness of John the Baptist. He didn't come merely after him in time, but he came in his likeness theologically, preaching the same message, destined for the same end, to be betrayed, handed over. And in his betrayal, we find the wisdom of the gospel on display, that through the betrayal of one of his disciples, salvation would be effected. It teaches us about the gospel. It is a message of salvation for your enemies, of whom we were the foremost. And we rejoice this morning that we have been reconciled to you through this gospel. We see the salvation that Jesus brings as indicated by this fulfillment of Isaiah 9, a robust message of salvation, not merely a transaction, but a glorious prophecy given, teaching us about the transformation that comes by way of this message. Renewed hearts, alive to you, to the Gentiles, Great joy, all of it centering upon a king. There is so much more we could say. Please help us to apprehend more fully the glory of the gospel. That our lives would reflect the command of discipleship. And we see a final theme at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, that of repentance. The same theme that John the Baptist came with. Jesus also preaches a sermon commanding people to turn from their sin, to embrace the kingdom, to embrace the king. Father, I pray if there is anyone here who does not know you savingly, they would repent of their sin, embrace Christ as their savior, and the testimony of this church would be one of steadfast obedience to Jesus until that day when he returns to call us home. In his name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. It is believed that Matthew's principal reason for writing his gospel was to convince the Jews that Jesus was the true Messiah of Israel. In chapter 9 of his gospel, Matthew gives us a brief picture of himself sitting at his tax booth and receiving the call from Christ to follow. Theologians refer to this as God's effectual call unto salvation. It's irresistible. Pastor Paul will focus his teachings tomorrow on Jesus' call to Simon and his brother Andrew, and then later to James and John. These were four lowly fishermen, the bottom rung of society. But Matthew, before his call, had been a tax collector, an outcast in that culture because of his profession as a tax collector for the hated Romans. The question is, has an effectual call been sent to you from God? You can't ignore it. 
If you'd like to learn more about God's gracious outreach to all nations, come to our website, TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org. Select Broadcasts to find more of Pastor's teachings, including part one of this series, if you missed yesterday's message. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist and a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. And with Sunday coming, we want to be sure you know you're invited. If you don't have a local church, come worship with us at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Hope you'll join us tomorrow as we continue in our series with part three of Jesus Begins His Ministry, where we'll take an in-depth look at God's effectual call to sinners. I'm Matt Williams. Thanks for listening to Timeless Truth Today.